Bookstew viewers, I'm so proud and happy today to introduce you to another local author. Um, their are, local authors are absolutely our favorites, and this is Peter Swanson. Peter is local, meaning from Somerville, and uh, I have with me his most recent book, which is called Her Every Fear. It's a thriller, and it's a thriller, a twisty thriller, which I think is the hallmark of Peter's writing. Um, if you look at his reviews, not only the professional reviews, but reviews on librarything.com, which I use on Goodreads, almost every person who writes a review of Peter's books throws the word twist in there. And he has also been compared to Patricia Highsmith, which is very high praise, but also uh, to Gone Girl, to Dennis Lehane. So he's not in bad company at all, but I think um, to me, the uniqueness of Peter's book is that he works primarily with damaged people that you wouldn't want to have as best friends. <laughs> so Peter, welcome to Bookstew. Thank you for having me. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your, how you became a writer, you know, the usual stuff we start out the show with. Sure, sure. Um, well, first thing about twists is everyone starts telling you, you know, you were just saying everyone says my books are twisty. Um, as soon as you start saying that, it kind of, you know, people start looking for the twist. <laughs> you know, it kind of wrecks it in a way. Um, so now, you know, I, I need to write a book that has absolutely no twist. I you was know, just ask to throw if you could do that. Do you think you could? So you're working on your fourth. I'll, I'll hold off until we get to the end, but I would think you would want to, but then all these people will go, oh, well, where was the twist? Oh, I'm never going to read him again. I mean, It depends on how you think of a twist. I mean, I think of a twist as, I mean, there are those twists that entirely change the story. Um, and that's a true twist. I think of some twists are really surprises um, in the narrative. And I think I would never write a book that, for me, didn't have surprises in the narrative, because you need that. I mean, you need that in um, thrillers, for sure. I think you need it in all books. You know, a, a narrative that just goes exactly the way you expect it to go is not going to be a very good book. Right, because you don't want any, especially about a thriller, you don't want anyone writing predictable. Right, no. Because that would be the worst. Right, so it's not always twists. I think it's just surprises. I mean, um, the big twist that people talk about in The Kind Worth Killing is not so much a twist, it's just that the story takes a sharp left turn into a direction that people weren't expecting. Um, now there are those twists where, you know, at the very end of the book you find out, you know, the person who's narrating it is a ghost all along or something <laughs> like that. That's a twist. But um, so I think of them as surprises and I would never, I would, I hope I never write a book that is unsurprising. I, I like that description. I think that makes a lot of sense to differentiate between the two. So um, you went to UMass Amherst, you went to Trinity College, and Emerson, did you go there, teach there? Um, well, I went to Emerson um, to get my MFA in writing. Um, I went to UMass Amherst to get my uh, teaching degree to teach high school English, which I wound up doing for only a year and then, and then not doing. Um, one of the reasons I, I decided not to teach um, was uh, I couldn't write and teach at the same time. I think this is a, a common thing among wannabe writers, which is they decide to teach school, and I was there a year and I said, I'm never going to write again. It's so much work. Um, and it, it was exhausting to me. I mean, it w I don't think it was a great fit for me, but I also said I'm never going to write again, and I had always wanted to be a writer, and I'd been writing since uh, before high school. Um, so I, I stopped teaching. It's interesting to think of the different pathways 
that writers get to to the point where they can support themselves on their writing because I yeah. think teaching and especially teaching English as you say and maybe even teaching college English used to be sure. if you could get a job used to be the pathway but I think now more and more authors are going through like um, writing gigs at companies like you know right. Google Facebook technical writing yes, or yes. yes. Which would you think? I think that's probably easier as far as time is concerned, unless you have the type of job where you have to answer your your pages and phones every ten seconds. Yeah, the best job that I got when I um, the, the the job that really helped me become a writer had nothing to do with writing. It was um, working at a nonprofit in Cambridge, Mass. Um, I was a project manager for it was it was in the teacher field. It was teacher. Um, elementary school teacher professional development. Oh. But my job was essentially administrative. I worked on you know the contracts, um, I worked on the logistics and organizing and the materials and all this. Um, and it was a great job as a writer because I was done at five. Um, and it wasn't super incredibly stressful. Um, and I had enough energy left at the end of the day to go home and write. And I think that was crucial. It wasn't, it wasn't wiping me out. Um, and it was a pleasant job, and it didn't take all of my, um, you know, my limited brain stuff. That's so. That's. Did you know when you took that job that that did you were you hoping that would be how it would work? No, out? I mean I just needed a job. Um, <laughs> yeah, like like everyone else. In fact, it started out as sort of a summer job while I was getting my MFA, and then I got offered a full time job, and then 17 years went by. And um, but in that time period, I wrote. Um, I, I wrote many books, um, the, the first few of which were not published, and then um, my fourth complete book was published. So that was The Girl with the Clock for yes. Heart. So um, are you gonna, uh, is, is anyone going to publish your back catalog? Um, no, I mean, I haven't asked anyone. I think um, every once in a while, I, one of them I quite like, and every once in a while I kind of look at it. But, I, but then I think to myself, I don't know, maybe there's a reason Maybe I needed to write those books. They are my earlier works, and maybe I need to move forward and, and not put it out there. And it's a slightly different um, feel than what I started to get published. Well, speaking of slightly different feels, so you've got your first The Girl of the Clock for a Heart, which I came to last, but I enjoyed the most out of the three that have been published. Then The Kind Worth Killing, which was your second one, which actually won an award, but I had never heard of the award. I had um, never heard of it before I won it either. It's the New England. Society? So, this uh, New England Society Book Award, interestingly enough, the New England Society is in New York City. Um, but so did it have to be set in New England or what? Uh, I believe it's, I believe it's, yes, the spirit of New England, but it's often New England writers. Um, and, and it's a really old society in New York City because of course it was formed, I think it was formed like, I want to say, you know, 150 years ago. And it was um, people who had come from New England and moved to New York City formed this club Aww. because they miss New England. Um, you know, this is prior to you know bolt buses getting you there in four <laughs> hours. Um, so, so yes, I did win this award. They're well, very nice people. Congratulations! Thank I you. think that's really interesting to win an award. That so your publisher must have put you up for it, right? Yes, that's my publisher put me up. They for do. It. They do have their uses. Those publishers, huh? Yeah, every once in a while. And then this is the most recent one. Um, yeah her every fear, which I also enjoyed. But um, as I mentioned, I think the, the tie that binds or the surprise that binds is uh, your character's general lack of likability. Yeah. How did, how did uh, so 
how did you get to that point? Um, I mean, I think, it, I think it comes from what I read um, to a certain degree. I mean, you mentioned already Patricia Highsmith. Um, she's um, someone who never cared about the likability of her characters. She was much more interested in their, I think, complexity mm. um, and where they skirted the line of morality. Um, so I've always been attracted to her books and books by people who are in her genre. The other person I can think of is Ruth Rendell, the um, English thriller writer who um, just specialized in all sorts of twisted characters that some of whom you like despite their moral failings. Um, so I think I've always read that type of book. Um, I'm instantly turned off by books that have like a perfect hero. Um, oh. Even if the plot's good, like I just kind of lose interest in those those books where it's just very delineated between good and bad. So I think this was just a natural place for me to go, which is a lot of my characters are in the gray area. Um, some of them are fully past the gray area <laughs> into um, the dark the dark place, um, and it's just just what I love to read, and it's the type of characters I think about, and it's the type of characters I read about. Are you, uh, do you feel at all plagued by Gone Girl syndrome? Uh, the interesting thing about Gone Girl, um, I mean, you have to ignore that stuff in the, because it's a sort of publishing industry. Um, I read Gone Girl the week I found out Girl with a Clock for a Heart was being published. Um, and um, I think my wife was reading it and she finished it. We were on vacation. And so I picked it up and read it. Um, and I think it was just becoming a phenomenon, like a complete phenomenon. So obviously it was a shadow, but I also actually love that book. And um, so one of the things when I was reading that book was I was like, oh man, this book's great, my book's terrible, and I, uh -huh. you know, I had the, the writer's doubt. Um, but, but I also, you know, as soon as they started marketing my books, it's like, um, you know, if you like Gone Girl, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, and now it's girl this, girl that. So <laughs> that uh, is funny how that worked out. But let me ask you: I, this is I've had um, mystery and thriller writers on before, but I've never asked if there is a, really a difference between a mystery and a thriller. Yeah, I, I mean, um, they're they're both under the umbrella of crime fiction, I think. Um, the difference I see is a, is a mystery, to me a mystery is a whodunit, in which um, a murder or a crime is committed and both the reader and the detective solving the crime don't know who it is until the end of the book. Um, that to me is a mystery, it's Agatha Christie. Um, a thriller is, um, is not as concerned with concealing the identity of the criminal. It's m it can be a, it, it's more about um, it's more about the crime actually taking place, the suspense of, of the crime, whether it will happen or not, who who might get killed. Um, but it's not it's not a game in the sense that it's as a reader you're not trying to figure something out. That's how I see it. Huh. It's, that, a, it's a very small distinction, but but then there are. So what about the books where like I like mysteries or thrillers? When they, when you know, the first chapter is the crime is committed, and yeah. you know who did it, and then it's the rest of it is just the police procedural where they scramble around and try to figure out who did it. What, where would that fall into? Do you think? Well, I guess it depends on what the rest of the book is like after the crime is committed. 
I think it's a I think it's a thriller. I think it's a thriller because I think um, in a sense it's not it's not hiding information from you. I think of mysteries as hiding information from the reader, although I do a little of that as, as well. I mean, there's, there's tons of crossover. Um, I mean, I'm considered a thriller writer. That's my publisher's uh, classification for me. Um, I like to think I also write mysteries because I think there are many mystery elements in my books, and I like mysteries, but I've never written um, just a, a pure straight-ahead whodunit where the criminal is revealed at the end. Well, you also don't have recurring characters either, which I think um, helps because, yep. and that's, that, you know, that's another question I have. I just wonder at the people with the recurring characters, like I think I, there's one that I've read, I think there's 10 books, uh, Sophie Hanna, she's a Brit writer. Oh, yeah. I love her. Okay. Um, and what she's got going on is this really strange relationship between two uh, a police officer and, and his supervisor. Yes. And so really, and then her sister's relationship with another cop, and then, so you follow those relationships, and the crimes and situations have gotten just weirder and weirder and weirder through the books, but you also have the sustaining interest in the relationship and what's gonna happen with that. Like, are they gonna get, have sex? Are they gonna get married? Right. Are they gonna have a kid? So um, I think the recurring characters, though, it, I wonder what happens when these people just get bored. I guess they just stop, right? Well, Sophie Hanna, who I actually know. You know her? I do. <gasps> oh, I I'm such a fangirl. I've met her uh, several times. I've had lunch with her. And um, so I met her actually in uh, Indianapolis at a library convention, and we were on a panel together. And then I, I went to London, and uh, my publishers arranged for us to have a lunch together. And she's terrific. So one of the things she does really interesting is her books kind of feel like standalones and a series mm -hmm. at the same time because she because she's it's not just about the police it's often she focuses a lot on the the sort of strange crimes that she comes up and with. And they're very strange. Yeah, she's um yeah she's she's a contemporary writer I really like and um, she comes up with great strange premises and um, but yeah she always has. Um, the same detectives, although she did write a standalone ghost story, I think. Oh, I haven't tried that one. So yet. she did get bored. She out. did want to try something else, I think. I don't blame her because, you know, once these characters, you know, when as they get older, I mean, you don't want to think that, oh, they're going to have a baby and then the next 10 books are going to be the baby turns five, the baby goes yeah, to yeah, high school. Yeah. So I hope, but I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of them so far. So about your plotting. So... Um, you had written a couple of books that didn't get published, and then The Girl with the Clock for a Heart got published. So what's the process of, of figuring out the ending? Because the ending is always the hardest part to do, and I know you yeah. have a controversial ending in... Girl with the Clock yes. for a Heart. Um, so, so I'm sure you've had other thriller writers who've talked about uh, the difference between plotters and pantsers. Do you, have you heard these? No, oh, no. you haven't heard these? No. So this is a kind of... Um, writers talk a lot about this. So you're either a plotter, in which case you're someone who writes out the entire plot um, and knows in advance how it's going to work out, or you're a pantser, which means you're flying by the seat of your pants. Ah. And um, I am, without a doubt, a pantser. Really? Yeah. Isn't that, that's so scary, though. Yeah, it is scary. I, I will admit that. In fact, I'm sort of halfway through my next book, and I'm in that scared zone. <laughs> but you're also, you've put out, so... Um, Girl with the Clock for Heart was 2015, 
than the kind worth killing 2016. This was so, are, is your publisher like, okay, time for the 2018 book? Are they? The 2018 book is done. Um, so ah, the book so that's, the right, the 2019 book is, is the one I'm in the middle of and um, having that sort of sinking feeling of where is this going is, and is it going in a direction that's good enough? Um, I do think it's frightening. On the flip side, I think it makes me a better writer and a better storyteller. I don't think that's necessarily the case for everyone. Like, I don't think, I mean, you know, Agatha Christie wrote out these elaborate plots and hers were very good. Um, I don't think it's, I think it's more um, what works for me. But, but I like to sort of come up with a premise, an interesting premise, the characters who are going to be part of this premise, and then throw them together and kind of see what happens. Um, and tell myself the story as I write it. Now, I do think ahead while I'm writing and I'm thinking, oh, this might happen and this might happen. And at some point, and sometimes it's at the very beginning, I have an idea of an ending I want to get to. So I can kind of imagine it, um, but it can change. So has, how long, like do you have a stack of premises that you'll get to eventually? <laughs> or are you a pantser in terms of the premise only coming when it's time to write another book? Um, I, have a, I do have a little stack of premises. I mean, one of the things, um, they, they kind of float around my head. So in the case of Her Every Fear, I, I had this, um, just to talk about the, this book here, um, my original idea was uh, people switching apartments. That to me was interesting. Um, a man and a woman switch apartments. They don't, um, they don't meet, but they kind of get to know each other because they're living in each other's spaces. Um, and this was, I had this idea, I think, 15 years ago, back when I wasn't necessarily only gonna write thrillers, and I thought, oh, maybe it's sort of a romance. Uh. Um, maybe they fall in love living in each other's apartments. So this it kept nagging at me, and eventually one day I just said, this is, nothing else is coming from this, it's kind of dead in the water. Um, and I stopped thinking about it, and then um, a few years later, I returned to it and I said, well, it's not a romance, it's a thriller, because what if, what if one of them um, arrives at the other apartment and someone's been killed recently in this apartment and she begins to think, am I living in the apartment of a murderer? Well, she'd have all these clues around her and she can look around the apartment and try and figure it out. And as soon as that went into my head, then the sort of motor starts going. And I think once the motor starts going, once I start going, well, what if this happened and what if that happened, that's when the book starts to kind of come to life. Well, on this one, the motor going was to also make them related. Yes, yes, that the second was, cousins, yes. Uh, that, that really, right. that knocked me out. The fact that it wouldn't just be like two people doing a home away with each other or yeah. a house switch, but I mean, they weren't close relatives. Right. And, but still, that was, that was a surprise within already an interesting situation, I thought. Yeah, so, and, and sometimes that happens, that, that motor happens and then sputters. I mean, it's not, it's not like as soon as that happens, um, but as soon as it keeps going, then I know I have something that I'm interested enough to write about, and I'll start that process, and hopefully. So when you say something sputters, if, so you really do have a contract, right? And they're expecting you to have books out. I mean, you've been publishing one a year. Is that? Yeah. So does that have, how do you, is that good and bad in that it makes you write, but it also is like, what if something sputters for a couple of months longer than I need it to sputter for? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a couple tense moments, but in general, um, I think I'm lucky to be a writer who can, um, I write a thousand words a day. Wow. Every day. Um, and that actually includes the weekend for the most part, unless I have plans. Um, I'm pretty consistent with that. I kind of make myself do it. Um, and so I do have some leeway because if I'm sticking to that schedule, I'm writing a first draft of a book relatively quickly. Yeah. And if I and I can discard a number of pages. Um, I mean, it's happened. I mean, I you know I sent what was it? for my third book, I sent my agent I think 75 pages of the book that I wasn't sure about, and he was like, "No, I don't think this is gonna should be your next book." And I kind of put it aside and started something else. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, I, I'm, you know, knock on wood, this won't happen that I'm, that I get stuck with some kind of writer's block where I can't. Well, that um, would be horrifying to someone who writes a thousand words a day to, to have a block. I want to clarify that. It's a thousand, <laughs> when I say a thousand words a day, it's not a thousand good words right, a day. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> what, it's my method to make sure that, that it keeps moving forward. And, and on a day when it's not coming, when I'm feeling like, no creative spark at all, I still force myself to write those thousand words um, and figure if they're, if they're really terrible, I can get rid of them later. Right. Um, but it keeps me moving forward. And if I didn't do that, I would, um, you know, I'd always be waiting for inspiration and don't wait. Well, it's also kind of like it's your job. I mean, your right, job is job. to write a thousand words a day, just like it is um, my job to do the things I used to do when I was fully employed. So. Right. You, right, you, you treat it like a job, and, um, and, and actually now it is my full-time job, so... Cong and very big congratulations, because yeah. it's not every writer I've had on here, or every writer I've ever read or heard of that can say that happily. It's, yes, I, f I feel very lucky and fortunate that I've got into this position. So your books are all, f are all set in Boston, but um, you also write from male and female perspective, which I think... Uh, is not is not to me it's not the easiest thing to do um, do you feel like how do you feel like you know how to write as a woman that women would go oh yeah she would do that um, I mean I don't feel like I know that I'm doing it correctly I think it's it's all an imagine a process of imagining um, so when I'm writing a male character, it might be closer to me, but I'm still imagining a, a very different set of emotions, a different set of um, priorities for this character. Um, if, if they're a bad character or, or someone who's considering committing a crime, I'm imagining throwing away those, what it, feel, what it would feel like to throw away your moral guidelines. Uh -huh. um, but so I don't, I don't do it that much differently when I think about a woman, but again, I'm imagining what would it feel like to be, a, you know, to to not just be a woman, but to be this specific woman in this specific situation. And similar to plotting, I think I'm flying a little bit by the seat of my pants. I'm try I'm I'm not doing research. I'm not reading psychological articles. I'm just trying to imagine what how someone might react to this situation. Um, I want there to be reasons for everything. Um, but it's but it's a 
it's, it's imagination. And hopefully when I go back and reread or as I move forward with the character, I'm able to pick out what's working and pick out what's not and hone this character in. Do you have an editor? Uh, have you had the same editor for all of your books? I have. I also have a very editorial agent, uh -huh. which not everyone has, but um, my particular agent um, see, is really my first reader. Um, well, him and my wife. Um, and they, they both give me feedback, and he's, he's very editorial and, um, and uh, very critical, actually. I mean, he's really quick to tell me what's not working and um, what can be better, and so I go through a lot of drafts. That, but that's very helpful to have that. Oh, it's the best. I mean, it's not the best when you get the email back. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. if, but you know, since you've been successful and you have happy readers, that he's helping you. Absolutely. And yeah. so, um, can you give us, uh, we're getting close to the end, sadly enough, so let me just ask you quickly about settings in Boston. Yeah. Do you enjoy that part? Because, I, I mean, as a reader, I really do. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you know, everyone's like, why do you pick Boston? I mean, I, I pick Boston area because I live um, outside of Boston, um, and I grew up in Massachusetts. Um, but it's also a great uh, location for, for books, great location for thrillers. I mean, I think there's a lot of especially in this one, which was set in Beacon Hill. I was yeah, really was inspired by, um, by the sort of old, dark, cobblestone streets of Beacon Hill, um, and that would serve as a, a good background. Um, it, all of this takes place in an apartment building, an old apartment building, and I actually had the, the fun job of um, scouting for that real location. Um, in, in Beacon Street, and I, I went through um, Zillow, which is a real estate uh, site, and found uh, an apartment building that sounded right, and then I went into Beacon Hill, and I, I found it. Had to have a doorman. I wanted windows that faced each other across a courtyard, because that's important for the book, um, and uh, found this perfect place, so that was, that was really fun. So, yeah, I mean, I write, I write what I know, um, and, I, and I like this area. I've lived here my whole life, so. And your fourth published book coming up, so that will be published in April? April, yes. And uh, can you give us a little, a little foreshadowing? It's, it's called All the Beautiful Lies. Um, it is not set in Boston, actually it's set in the coast of Maine, southern coast of Maine, oh, okay. similar to where um, a lot of Kindworth Killing was set. Okay. Um, and it's sort of three characters. It's a... Um, sort of a grief-stricken uh, college graduate coming back to his family home after his father has died, um, getting to know his uh, stepmother, who isn't quite what she seems, um, and then meeting a, a mysterious woman who arrives at the funeral um, with the strange relationship with his father. Oh, that sounds intriguing. I'm looking forward to it. And that's uh, interesting that it's set uh, in southern Maine. I think Maine also yeah. has a whole main coast genre of yes. a million different books, mysteries, thrillers, book club fiction, but there's something <laughs> yes. about the southern coast of Maine that really makes for, yeah. for a fruitful time. But I'm partial to Boston and I'm very partial to your books. Oh, thank you. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. And readers, I'm going to suggest that you pick up all three of Peter's books. You don't even have to read them in any order. 
because this one might be a little bit harder to, to get a hold of because it's relatively new. But again, the other two are The Girl with the Clock for Heart, which was the first one, and The Kind Worth Killing, which is the second one, which won that uh, oh-so-interesting uh, award. So thanks again, Peter. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks.